Welcome to MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Lowe. Add the Center for Historic Preservation to the long list of educational entities that has had to adjust to digital learning due to the COVID-19 pandemic. I'll introduce our guest in due course, but the topic is the new CHP webinar to help acquaint teachers with primary sources and materials they can use to teach students remotely. The first webinar was conducted May 14th and focused on historic epidemics, teaching teachers and students about primary historical sources after this. Here are some of the headlines making news at mtsunews.com, the university's news and information website. Small business owners across the state unclear about the process for applying for emergency assistance from the federal government are encouraged to seek free counseling assistance through the Tennessee Small Business Development Centers across the state. The TSBDC has professional counselors in offices throughout the state available to help small business owners access programs such as the Payroll Protection Program, as well as economic injury and small business administration relief loans implemented as part of the federal government's Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security, or CARES Act. The Small Business Development Center has been increasing its workforce to be able to handle an uptick in requests for assistance and is especially interested in connecting with the many small businesses throughout the state that may not be aware of their variety of services and who may not have close relationships with local banks, lenders, or accounting firms to help them tap into available relief. Hosted at MTSU, the network of Tennessee Small Business Development Centers have operated for more than three decades and are funded in part through a cooperative agreement with the U.S. Small Business Administration, participating universities, and community colleges, plus regional support partners. For MTSU News at any time, go to mtsunews.com. And now we welcome our guest, Dr. Stacy Graham. CHP Research Professor and TPS Project Coordinator, Kira Duke, CHP Specialist, and Layla Smallwood, a doctoral student in the Public History Program. Welcome, one and all. Thank you, Jenna. Thank you. Stacy. The, the pandemic has put a crimp in the professional development workshops that CHP personnel have conducted in person. How does this new webinar fill that void? Yes, it certainly has. Uh, summertime is a very busy time in our schedule for conducting face-to-face teacher workshops because that's, of course, when teachers are available for those. And we really pride ourselves on being able to offer really engaged in-person type activities. So it was really hard for us to think about how we can still provide valuable programming for teachers when none of us can meet in person. So it was, I believe it was Kira's idea to try to have periodic webinars on a topic that was related to our monthly newsletters. Because of course our monthly newsletters come out online regularly every single month. And that's content that was not affected by the fact that we are now working from home, but how to engage with people who are at home. And the real challenge was thinking not just what teachers can do for professional development, but what they need because their needs have changed. And how do we address that? Um, It wasn't hard to think of the topic historical pandemics. Um, We actually have touched on this topic before a few years ago, um, but we wanted something that would be relevant 
and that uh, students could really connect to. I noticed, Stacy, in viewing the first webinar, which was recorded and posted on YouTube, that there were a lot of uh, interactive capabilities. Viewers had multiple opportunities to take part instead of just being passive observers. Can you talk about those capabilities, if you will? Yes, we really wanted to keep up some sort of level of engagement. Um, and we are trying, we all new to the Zoom thing as well. We are new to these new technological platforms. And so we are partially trying these out for ourselves to learn new ways of of, uh, of using the, the software, but how could teachers communicate with us, um, but at the same time, how could we create an end product that would then still be something that people later on would want to watch, even if they don't have the chance to interact? And so, you know, Kira created a poll that went over really well when we were in planning stages, so we decided to create a couple more polls. And the chat function I think went really well and we weren't sure how that was going to go. So this was all practice for us, but you know, we're still thinking of more ways to make it interactive because we miss that element just as much as I imagine the teachers do. Kira, uh, uh, in a separate YouTube posting called Finding Primary Sources with TPS MTSU, this is not the webinar, but a separate YouTube posting, uh, you outlined several ways that teachers and students alike could use the Library of Congress website in their research and class preparation. Could you talk about some of those? What we're trying to do with that webinar specifically, we were actually working with um, History Day um, students and teachers um, who are, of course, creating research projects, but that applies, uh, of course, more broadly to all of our teachers and students. So the library has a large number uh, of collections um, and resources available for teachers, but we find that oftentimes people get a little confused and overwhelmed about how to find that. So we wanted to create some online tools to help kind of easily direct people to that, especially as they think about how we're going to um, continue to deliver content um, and instruction for our students. And there are also some sources outside of the Library of Congress website that you thought might be useful. What are some of those? So there's a large number. Uh, we, if you're looking for things related to Tennessee history, for example, uh, we oftentimes will talk about um, things related uh, from the East Tennessee Historical Society. They have a wonderful uh, website called teachtnhistory.org. Um, and we partner with them on workshops and materials. Um, and so that's a great resource. The Tennessee State Library and Archives um, has a wonderful education site um, with a lot of materials and they have been creating new things um, right now to help people as we all kind of deal with the, the new reality. Um, and then of course the Tennessee State Museum um, has a number of uh, great resources. Their Tennessee for Me site is a particularly great one. So those are the, the primary ones we use, but of course like the Stanford History Education Group has got some great things and they're one of our TPS partners. Um, so there's a lot of good stuff out there and one thing that we always hope to do um, is help teachers to find it because oftentimes um, it's just really almost there's, there's too many things and too many places to look and teachers are always so stressed for time. We want to make sure we can help point them in the right direction. We'll take a break right here. We'll return in just a moment. This is MTSU on the Record. The Middle East Center at MTSU seeks to promote greater understanding of the politics, history, and culture of this vitally important region of the world. Its mission includes the promotion of outreach programs and faculty research. The Center sponsors lectures by Middle East experts and scholarly exchanges. We're especially pleased to offer a new interdisciplinary minor in Middle East studies with courses in Arabic and Hebrew. 
This is Dr. Alan Hibbard, Center Director. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. The MTSU Department of Art has the newest facility for visual arts in the state with approximately 50,000 square feet of space, including high-tech computers and computer-driven equipment for multimedia, graphic design, printmaking, sculpture, painting, and ceramics. We feature a visiting artist lecture program and an exhibition program that exposes students to work by national and international artists. To find out more, visit mtsunews.com. We have three guests today talking about teaching with primary sources. Uh, they're all connected with the Center for Historic Preservation in some way. Dr. Stacy Graham is a research professor and TPS project coordinator. Kira Duke is a Center for Historic Preservation Specialist, and Layla Smallwood is a doctoral student in the Public History Program. We're talking about a new webinar uh, designed to help teachers and students. They can still find that useful, can they not, Kira? Yes, they can. Um, so we're looking at um, actually designing um, some things. You know, Our primary focus has always been designing things for teachers, um, but we're actually looking at creating some things going into the summer that will be designed more specifically for students. Um, and so that is a direction that we've been thinking about. We've actually done a couple of educator focus groups to kind of get some feedback on what people are looking for. We have things that of course can be used directly with students now, but we're also looking at creating things that will be even more student friendly in the future. Layla, from the student's perspective, how user friendly are these websites, especially for the non-traditional students who might not be is intimately familiar with the technology as their millennial friends. You, the key is knowing the right search terms. You have to know how to work these websites to get what you want. They're super useful and very helpful, but you have to know what to search, where to search for it, and time periods, anything to narrow down your search. So I think they're very useful for non-traditional students, um, traditional students, anything can be used by anybody. You just have to know how to use it and the ways to manipulate the system to get what you want. And that's hopefully what we're going to be giving people in these webinars and in our uh, YouTube videos and through these um, resources we're handing to students and to teachers. So hopefully they'll be helpful for everybody. I believe something was said in either finding primary sources or the webinar, and I forgive me for not remembering which or who, that uh, using a diversity of media is important in putting together a presentation regardless of whether you're a teacher trying to teach students or a student trying to make a presentation to deliver to the whole class. Layla, uh, can you address yourself to that a little bit? Yes, I think you need to use all types of media. Um, we definitely have learned in this time with webinars, especially nobody wants to sit there and listen to somebody talk to a computer screen. It's not the ideal situation anyway, but nobody wants that. Everybody sat through a boring webinar before. So using all types of media um, and pulling them into your resources, whether it's a lesson plan, an activity, a webinar, anything like that, it's going to make it more, first of all, relevant to the people who are using it or who you're showing it to. And it's going to make it more interactive and keep people more focused. I think that's what we're working towards here. The technology is so ubiquitous that that's not enough in and of itself to keep people engaged. You have to always be on the lookout for new ways to keep them engaged with the subject. Yes, and everything's constantly changing. Zoom does updates every single week and things are changing. So hopefully we can keep up and figure out what's next and how to implement it each week or each month as we figure things out. So as historians, you've been dealing with all kinds of 
formats from fragile artifacts of years ago to digital entities for some time now. Do you think you were well equipped for this new technological shift or are there some things you've had to learn about in terms of using digital platforms to help you get your message across? I'll answer that first and then Kira, please feel free to, to chime in. Um, I will be the first one to claim that I hate technology, which of course it's not an entirely true statement. It just means that I prefer to do things in person and to be with people and to focus on the primary sources themselves and not necessarily the technology that brings them to us. So uh, we have had the luxury of being able to think that way for a long time. And so now it's more of um, rethinking the way things are useful for people and just making ourselves do that. And, you know, I'm, I'm proud of us for <laughs> catching up so quickly uh, despite our earlier reservations. Kira? Yeah, so for years, we've actually been very um, firm in our stance that we love doing face-to-face -face workshops. We love to get out in the state and work one-on-one -on -one with teachers um, to build relationships with them. So for us to transition to, you know, looking at now doing most of our workshops throughout the summer, um, all virtually, um, has been a huge leap for us. So it's, you know, rethinking, um, of course, how we approach uh, what we're doing in our workshops, the time span that we're doing, like how we're going to put activities together so that we can make them engaging and try to translate as much of what we do in our workshops. Because again, we, we have this kind of reputation for having things be very interactive. There's lots of great discussion. Well, how do you do that online? How do you get that, that same type of, of interaction between your participants when we're all sitting in our own you know, living room? Um, and so thinking about um, how we can approach that, but then also learning the technology. So I've spent so many hours, uh, you know, watching Zoom tutorials um, and watching other webinars and trying to pick up on things that we're seeing other folks do um, that we can then translate or adapt to our own approach. Um, and so I think for us, you know, looking at it now, this has been a great opportunity for us to expand our own skill set and really you know, we'll be able to take this and translate this into things that we do with TPS, um, you know, into the future, even after hopefully things all go back to normal and we're able to go out and do regular workshops again. Not that I'm a, a Luddite or anything, but I don't consider myself the most technologically astute person in the world. However, on the, the flip side of things, digital technology has enabled historians to preserve all kinds of primary sources or images of primary sources like books and newspapers and pictures and maps and all kinds of things in a way that makes them more accessible to people who can't go to libraries and museums or couldn't before the COVID pandemic as, uh, as frequently as they would like or didn't live near the kind of urban area where those things were available to them. And that's what's so amazing about the Library of Congress website is that it does have millions of primary sources. I mean, you're right, it's facsimiles of primary sources that are online, but that any person just out of any interest can go and find something and not just the primary sources, but stories about them, the historical context that makes them significant, just if you have five minutes, there's something you can find to fill up your five minutes. If you have hours, there's something you can do for hours. And so the Library of Congress has always been tweaking its website to be more and more user friendly. And I think that's really coming in handy now that we rely on that more than ever. We'll be back in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. 
The Concrete Industry Management Program at MTSU fills the need for trained personnel who know concrete technology and techniques. Our alumni go into the marketplace grounded in basic math and science and able to promote products or services related to the industry. Our participation in the academic common market ensures talented students in other states a chance to enroll on an in-state tuition basis. This is Dr. Heather Brown, director of the program. To find out more information on this or other university programs, visit mtsunews.com. The Middle Tennessee Writing Project is a program that fosters the effective teaching of writing to students in kindergarten through high school. The project hosts annual summer institutes where teacher participants teach and learn from each other effective techniques of teaching writing. In addition, the project sponsors summer writers camps for youngsters. MTSU is one of 185 sites of the National Writing Project and one of only two in Tennessee. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Our guests are Dr. Stacy Graham, Center for Historic Preservation Research Professor and Teaching with Primary Sources Project Coordinator, Kira Duke, Center for Historic Preservation Specialist, and Layla Smallwood, a doctoral student in the Public History Program. We're talking about a webinar that uh, CHP has initiated to help people learn how to research with primary sources, primary historical sources online. Do you plan to continue doing these once a month? Yes, so we're planning to do these um, every um, second Thursday um, in the month, um, you know, looking at a couple, you know, we may have to tweak that here or there as, as other things have popped up on our schedule, but our plan is to do one every um, second week of the month um, for the foreseeable future. So again, we're kind of excited to see what the overall response will be to these webinars. Um, and um, so we'll continue those as long as people are finding them useful. I just wanted to add that, like you mentioned before, the webinars and the other shorter videos that we'll be creating for students will be able to they have a home on YouTube, our TPS MTSU YouTube channel. And so they will always be there, even if we do end up returning to our normal in-face uh, workshop, I mean, face-to-face -face workshop programming. Uh, I think we'll still want to create content for that YouTube channel. And you introduced a new word to me. I think it's Padlet. That's a new uh, CHP endeavor, isn't it? Yes. Uh, so this is something that we learned um, as we were doing some research and reaching out to other programs that have been doing webinars for a while. Um, but something that was brought up is having uh, these tools that really allow for asynchronous learning. Um, and so Padlet was one of several different uh, websites and applications that people are using. Um, and it basically, it sort of reminds me of Pinterest. Um, so that you can actually have like these digital bulletin boards um, that allow you to post materials or upload files um, and that way people can easily access them. So what we're doing uh, with our, our digging in with TPS MTSU webinar series is we're going to have a Padlet so that during each uh, webinar, all of the PowerPoints, the sources, any uh, extra materials that we have that we're featuring in that webinar actually be posted there so people who are either viewing it live or who are viewing it after the fact on our YouTube channel can actually come back and easily find everything that we've referenced um, in that webinar. In the Historic Epidemics webinar, Kira, uh, you, you, a lot of the uh, primary sources you pulled up uh, as demonstration had to do with society's response to tuberculosis. Why that particular epidemic? 
Well, as we were, um, you know, thinking about topics for the monthly uh, newsletter, so we always look at what we've done in the past, and we had not actually touched on tuberculosis before, but uh, in doing a little bit of, of preliminary research, uh, it popped up about how prevalent um, it had been and the long scale, you know, the long history of, of how uh, it had been a leading cause of disease. Um, and so it was really interesting. I knew very little about it, actually, as we got into it and I started doing that research. Um, so I think, you know, we're always looking for topics that maybe people aren't as familiar with, um, but there are great resources for. And so um, you know, each month it's a learning experience, not only for the people who read our newsletter, but also for us as we write the, the lesson ideas and do the research. However uh, novel and confusing COVID-19 may be because there is so much we don't know about it yet, uh, what can we learn about how we deal with it and how we face it by continuing to look back at these historical uh, periods uh, in dealing with tuberculosis, yellow fever, smallpox, polio, the 1918 flu epidemic, and on down the line? Well, I think there are two main takeaways. One is uh, <laughs> we need to be patient that most pandemics in history last for a very long time and keep recurring after a few years. Um, of course, a lot of that happened in the days before vaccines, but uh, they're not just like, oh, we're going to happen during three months and then be gone. Uh, so I think we need to have that long-term sense that these things cycle and they stick around. Uh, the second takeaway, I think, is just um, how it is the government chooses to be involved and kind of take charge of the situation through public service uh, announcements and through public health uh, efforts, um, like with FDR, of course, being involved in the fight against polio for obvious reasons. Uh, so it's kind of interesting to see the different forms that government involvement takes uh, when it comes to how much that can impact people's uh, behaviors and the impact on their health. What have you heard in the way of feedback from educators about how they're navigating all this new territory and learning how to keep students engaged? So one thing that's come across in some of my conversations um, is one is that it's a you know, there are no, there's no common experience that's happening. Um, every district is, is kind of responding in different ways. Um, and so, you know, some of our districts, people are continuing to do uh, instruction. Um, others, they've not been able to have direct instruction with their students since early March. Um, and so seeing the disparities that are happening, um, you know, across the state is definitely, you know, of concern. Um, and the other is just, I mean, that not only are they going to be navigating uh, a new method of instruction, but then also having to learn new technology, new platforms, um, and figuring out ways to do that when not all of our students have access to the same, um, you know, things at home. They may not all have computers, they may all have Wi-Fi. Um, so how do we, again, navigate all this disparity? Layla, have any of your fellow students had uh, difficulty with the varying degrees of internet connectivity or even access to computers. Uh, I know students who are uh, not financially able to afford their own computer. Yeah, I think we see that in all ages. I mean, whether elementary, middle, high school, um, college, it's going to, it really, this time period shows us those inequities in those places where people might not have the support that they need. So yeah, I think we see that in every 
aspect of education here, teachers even who don't have maybe a computer for their kids and for themselves to work on. So we see all of these different ways of kind of, I don't want to say molding to the situation, but adapting is the right word, adapting to the new situation. And I've had um, other PhD or other graduate students say that, you know, we don't have all the resources that we need. Um, teachers don't have all the resources that they need. Student learners don't have all the resources. Um, but I think this is really helping us in the long run because we're preparing in the event that this happens again, we're having some kind of backup plan to fall back on. And we're learning as we go, you know, and if somebody doesn't have the resources, MTSU has been super helpful to send out emails and get people the resources that they need. When my dear father said not all learning takes place in the classroom, he didn't know how right he was. Since this webinar is a, a very valuable service, along with all of the myriad of things that the Center for Historic Preservation does, how can people uh, who want to know more get in touch? Stacy? what is the best mode of contact? Probably the easiest way is to do what teachers do, and they don't necessarily remember the URLs that we give them in workshops, so they just Google Teaching with Primary Sources MTSU, and that'll get you straight to our website. There you can find our email addresses, there you can find uh, our newsletters, and there you can find, uh, and our newsletters will always have the most up-to-date announcements and links. So, or you can always just email us. I mean, that's, that's going to be quick and, and individualized. So, Teaching with Primary Sources, MTSU. And stacy.gram at mtsu.edu is not too hard to remember because all of our web uh, our uh, emails are at mtsu.edu and they have a dot between the first and the last name. Uh, but uh, in, in, in any event, uh, I want to thank you all for being our guest today, Dr. Stacy Graham, Kira Duke, and uh, Layla Smallwood for being our guest and uh, telling people more about this valuable educational resource. Everybody, uh, Stay safe and uh, be well. You too. Thanks, Jenna. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. We'll be right back. Specialized training in forensic science prepares tomorrow's professionals through the Forensic Institute for Research and Education, or FIRE. The Forensic Anthropology Search and Recovery Team assists law enforcement with skeletal remains at crime scenes. Legendary forensic scientists provide lectures free to the public, and high school students work realistic crime scenes each summer at our CSI MTSU camp. I'm Dr. Hugh Berryman, Director of FIRE. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. Women in Science and Engineering, or WISE, helps college women prepare for and become involved in science-related careers. WISE nurtures women's interest in these fascinating and critical fields and provides mentoring and networking opportunities. The group's main goal is to assure women of their importance in all scientific and technical fields and to promote equal opportunity and treatment of women in science. I'm Dr. Judith Iriarte Gross, WISE Advisor. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. Gina Fan has the middle moment. MTSU agriculture professor Justin Gardner certainly had praise and encouragement for the university's summer class of 2020 graduates at their recent virtual commencement. But the outgoing Faculty Senate President also offered comfort for the university's second class this year who couldn't celebrate this milestone in person. 
together. The global pandemic had arrived in the U.S. We, the campus leadership, faced up to reality. We asked ourselves the most powerful question we can ask. What is it that we can do? The answer was uncomfortable. We had to turn to the students, to the faculty, and say that we're going to run the university differently. I had to teach differently. You had to learn differently. We had to hold commencement differently. Nobody's missed anything. We're still here. We're together. We are celebrating your accomplishments. We're just doing it differently. Your path towards your degree took an uncomfortable turn, but you adapted. You did things differently. You demonstrated your resilience during the largest global crisis of our lifetime. Well done. I'm proud of you. Congratulations. That's MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. Thanks for listening. MTSU on the Record, a news and information program about Middle Tennessee State University, is produced by the university's Marketing and Communications Office, which is solely responsible for its content. Read more about MTSU at our website, mtsunews.com. Podcasts of this program are available at mtsunews.com and on iTunes.